RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode... Not least that often technology isn't the answer. <laughs> you know, a number of uh, times people have said, our process is terrible, but if we buy some software, it'll be fine. And you'll still have a terrible process, you'll just have a bigger bill. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC, and in each episode I am joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Darren Sharp, and we're going to discuss the role of the Chief Information Officer. Darren started his career as an operations manager before moving to Ofsted, the organisation for inspecting schools, where he was for 10 years, starting out as an IT service manager and ending up as the sourcing, supply and deployment manager. For a year after that, he was head of service delivery at Essex County Council. But for the last 10 years, Darren has been at Tokyo Marine Kiln. And in July 2022, he became the group CIO or Chief Information Officer, which is what we're going to discuss today. So Darren, welcome to the podcast. Morning. Uh, first of all, congratulations on becoming CIO last year. Thank you very much. But uh, kind of, but based on, on on a quick glance at your CV on LinkedIn, um, you had no obvious links with insurance before you joined Tokyo Marine Kiln uh, in 2013. So, so what was it that prompted you to move to an insurer? So, as you pointed out, I was head of service delivery uh, for Essex County Council, uh, 150 staff, 10,000 kind of customers, and. 600 buildings, believe it or not. But I then got a call one day from someone I used to work with. She was working at, at Kiln uh, and said there was a vacancy with with my name written all over it. So I asked her what she liked uh, about the organisation. And she said, well, I've been a, a contractor all of my career. And this is the first place where I'd be happy to go perm. And having, having known her before, I thought she's not going to take that decision lightly. Uh, and the rest is history, really. So yeah, I, I went for the role, got the role. And actually, that lady's now a key part of my my leadership team at Kiln. And um, I guess we should start with the obvious question for this episode, which is, what is a chief information officer? If you had to define the, the role or the job in, in, in one sentence, how would you do it? Well, I'd probably start by saying back in the day, I think it probably became a fancy name for the head of IT. But these days, it's much more. So, so I guess in one sentence, as, as the CIO... I guess I'm accountable for the teams, the systems, the processes, the controls, all the things that go together across technology to deliver that to the organization so that those solutions are available, reliable, secure, and I guess most importantly, aligned to the business's need and their overall strategy. And the job title CIO, as I understand it, emerged in in sort of the 1980s kind of just simply presumably in response to the fact that businesses were becoming increasingly reliant on technology and on on computers. But obviously, back then, that was well before the cloud, even before the internet. Uh, And the the only strategic issue for businesses was, when do we upgrade Microsoft Windows? But so (laughs) so, so when you started your career in the 1990s, would you say that the roles of, of, of IT and CIO still had this purely functional role? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I scary. I started uh, 30 years ago this year. You know, I remember installing Windows 3.11 for work groups, I think it was called. Prior to that, we, we had about eight computers and none of them could see each other. You know, <laughs> we installed this Windows thing and it was like magic. 
suddenly you could send a file to your mate across the room, yeah? So I think back then, yeah, IT was something you know, a few people understood, uh, not not really many people across the business, and probably a necessary evil uh, for, for many people in the business to have to, to deal with it. It's a fascinating reminder, isn't it, of how far technology has progressed in the last kind of 25 years. Quite phenomenal how things have changed. But um, as a result of that, the role of CIO has also changed. So so how would you say it's changed though, over the last 25 years? Massively. Even probably just 10 years ago, we've moved away from you know, developing applications from scratch, from uh, you know people spending lots of time in, in cold data centers with screwdrivers trying to install bits of of care, you know, that we've moved away a lot now to really now looking for business solutions. Things like SaaS, so software as a service. So see things like uh, applications like Workday, for example, you know, sponsoring Formula One, that kind of thing. You know, you can buy these applications now and all the upgrades are, are done for you. So that part of the job has changed. And really now it's to say, how do I take all of these individual solutions, kind of piece them all together? You know, integrate those solutions or get data flowing through those solutions to tackle particular uh, business problems. And uh, how, how does that translate into your specific role as a CIO at uh, Tokyo Marine Kiln? How would you define the, the role or maybe how is your role defined there? So I'd, I'd say uh, at Tokyo Marine Kiln, it's, it, it's changed just in the short time I've, I've been there, it's changed massively. If you if I think back to how often I got invited to to speak to the exec, you know, five years ago, it would have been if we'd have had an issue. I'd have to go in and explain myself and, and provide reassurance that it wouldn't happen again. Um, now I'm in every month. I spend some weeks more time with, you know, exec and, and, and business people than I do my own team. I don't see that as a bad thing at all. It means I'm influencing you know, where the organisation goes. Uh, and certainly there's no, I can't think of a project in the last two years that didn't involve some sort of technology so just kind of to put some kind of specific categories on it, does it include, for example, cybersecurity? Is that, is that something that falls within your, your remit? It, it does. So we have a chief information security officer. He reports into me. And again, if I, if I think back when I joined, we had we probably had one person looking at security. I think we've now got a team of seven. We also, Tokyo Marine is part of a much broader global company, Tokyo Marine. You know, which is kind of 45,000 people strong now. And they're massively into security. You know, it's, it is the number one thing for, for our head office uh, in Tokyo. And in, and in fact, I'm, I'm part of a global IT uh, committee. So six or seven kind of, I guess, the top CIOs globally. And a few years ago, we were, I think we were in New York and they, they put up a slide and it was a, it was a picture of our group CIO bowing uh, to, to to shareholders and they said this is him uh, a public apology for losing their data and we all gasped and they said right just to be clear this never happened and also it will never happen and then they just looked around the table at all of them <laughs> to kind of say for the avoidance of doubt that's your responsibility so <laughs> exactly you know, it, this this will never happen <laughs> <laughs> exactly that exactly so so it is it is hugely important and um i mean you know, you only have to read the news and you see kind of ransomware attacks. You know, one of one of uh, a, a big a big insurer paid out several million dollars uh, a year or so ago uh, to, to 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 ransomware. So, yeah, it's it's very high on the agenda. And um, you've already touched upon the fact the role has has changed from a, a functional one to a, to a slightly more strategic one, and that 
in the past you were only called to the board to explain when things have gone wrong, whereas now that the role is, is much broader than that. So just as a sort of a rough guide, how much of your role uh, would you say is, is strategic, so looking to the future, and how much of it is dealing with today, keeping the lights on, I suppose you'd say? It's probably about um, about forty percent of my time is strategic these days. Probably that's probably risen from maybe ten percent a few years ago, and I can only see that increasing. You know, for example, you know, if we want to grow certain lines of business by twenty twenty five, what's going to support that? That might be data. Okay, well, what do we need to kind of build and uh, and maintain to to allow the business to do that? And we're looking at that today. So looking to the future a lot more than I than I ever used to. Fortunately, I've, I've got a brilliant team. So, you know, I've got a, a great bunch of people with with really good experience who can who can who can get on with running everything. And and that does free me up to to spend more time looking ahead, which is great. And and kind of following on from that, Darren, to what extent is is the CIO role an internal facing role? And to what extent is it an external facing role? So possibly another way to, to express that is, is as follows. Is the role of a CIO at a large insurer primarily about creating a, a cost-efficient, reliable infrastructure that does everything that the, the, the insurer wants it to do? Or, or is it about using technology to generate increased revenue? I think if you'd have asked me that question, even four years ago, I'd have said the former, you know, seen as service provider, cost center, spends lots of money, try and spend it wisely. That that really has changed. And, and that's not just Tokyo Marine Kiln. I think the market, the, you know, the London market that Tokyo Marine Kiln is part of has changed significantly. Some, some of that driven by the individual organizations, uh, some of that driven centrally uh, through Lloyd's and a real kind of recognition, I think, that technology is going to underpin kind of profitable growth for, for such organizations. So yeah, it was very much traditionally kind of internally facing. But if I think now in terms of the external side of stuff, you know, I chair um, a grandly titled underwriting advisory board for one of the main software vendors that a number of us use in the market. The idea being that collectively we can influence and drive their their roadmap to support all our, our growth ambitions and goals. Similarly, working with the London Market Association to kind of build a community of CIOs and, and really looking to see where where can we make life better for all the organisations where it isn't competitive advantage so that the market itself kind of thrives and, and, and grows. So, yeah, it, again, it's it, the whole the whole thing is is shifting. I mean, what, what sort of technology are we talking about to, to help underwriting? Is it is it uh, kind of more automated underwriting, kind of al- algorithmically driven um, underwriting? Uh, or, or in what way do, can technology actually help the underwriting process? So for certain lines, automation is uh, is really important. So, for example, we've just implemented an AI-based solution for uh, our marine and cyber teams. And that's to to automate the, the kind of entry of, of, of data into our policy admin system. For other areas, what they really want is is more information at their fingertips when they're when they're looking to do renewals, you know, for example. And then the third part is, yeah, there's there's still things that underwriters are are having to do on a day to day basis: go off and do a sanctions check. You know, and, and in the world we live in, sanctions are changing. <laughs> you know, change rapidly. Uh, and if we can automate a lot of that, not only have you freed up the underwriter to underwrite, 
you're also tackling elements of, of risk management in, in the process. Yeah. So, you know, there's no magic one, one piece of technology uh, and certainly whatever, whatever decisions we make today, we're likely to change them. And I think that's the other important message I'd give is that I think gone are the days where you say, right, we're going to do a five-year project and we're going to invest X million and we're going to build this thing that, that, that people believe they need today, because you can pretty much guarantee that that's not what they'll need by the time by the time you come around to building it. So you've got to be far more kind of flexible, agile, whatever you want to call it, than, than you ever used to be. Brilliant. Can we kind of uh, just talk a little bit more about data analysis? Because one of the things I've heard in various seminars that, that I've been to is that insurers accumulate huge amounts of data. It's never looked at. So you know, insurers are better at collecting data than at analysing it. So to what extent is, is the CIO's job to ensure that there are mechanisms in place, not just to collect data, but to analyse that data? You're right. Historically, the effort has gone into just kind of meeting the regulatory or financial reporting kind of obligations for that data and then really running out of kind of time and energy to do anything else with it. You know, those things are, are absolutely necessary, of course, but they don't provide competitive advantage, they don't help you improve your combined ratio. As the CIO, yes, I've, I've got to ensure we've got robust and cost-effective solutions in place to to deliver all that standard reporting. Uh, you know, we're starting to call that the factory, if you like, the data factory. But increasingly, you know, the time and the investment needs to be going into anal- analysing the data and augmenting that data with with, with data from from other sources. And, and that needs a different approach. So if you if you give your kind of uh, analytics guys, data scientists, uh, the same heavily controlled system, they'll get very frustrated because they won't be able to um, have the freedom to, and flexibility to, to do what they need to do with that data. And certainly at TMK, we're now looking at how, how do we build the lab? So you have a, a factory for the, the standard stuff and this concept of a lab where you people can kind of play safely and, and once things scale and if it's right, they, they would move across into the kind of factory world. Um, so a huge amount of, of effort going into that. I'd say it's the number one thing on on the exec list, data analytics. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting time. I mean, it's a, it's a good time for data people to be insurance, I would say, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I just just listening to you is is is, is amazing because you suddenly realise actually, you know, we are moving to a situation where everything is going to be technologically driven, um, and therefore, you know, the, the CIO role becomes absolutely central to to everything you know strategy day-to-day business commercial relationships i mean literally everything yeah and i mean on that i'm working i'm working with you know my boss who's the deputy ceo we've got a new head of data strategy working with the cfo working with the chief actuary so you know conversations that probably just didn't happen several years ago you know people kind of got on with their thing within their own departments and now the kind of cross-department conversations that are happening uh, a week in week out which is which is great and uh, how do you envisage the role of um, artificial intelligence and machine learning kind of being developed within insurance is that is that purely limited to, to data or does it go beyond data analysis so we've, we've put um, uh, an ai based solution in to help us gather unstructured data, you know, Word documents and stuff to get that into a structured format. And and that system has machine learning capability as well. So the, the more you put through it, the more it will learn. We've also got some RPA. So you may have heard of robotic process automation. That's uh, a little less intelligent, but again, 
looking to, to grab data sets or, or to complete manual tasks, again, to, to free people up. We, we want to scale the business. What you want to do is decouple your expense growth from your bottom line growth. On the machine learning side, we do a lot of US windstorms, a lot of hurricane kind of based insurance, uh, US flood. You know, you've got you've got every zip code for every uh, every address in the US, and you're trying to augment that with lots of other data. You know, this is where things like machine learning are, are going to come in, and and cloud. So you want to be able to scale up your your computing power to deal with the, the particular issue, and then scale it down again rather than you know, massive capital outlay <laughs> uh, in the hope that someone will come along and, and, and need that computing power. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think all of these different technologies and, and tools, it's not, one, it's not one tool that solves your problem. It's finding the, the, the smart combination of those to, to, to tackle that particular business need. But yeah, they will definitely be increasing in prevalence. No doubt about that. And, and moving on to a slightly different topic, the, the other thing that I hear people talk about, um, particularly in the context of insurers, is that insurers, when they merge, that you know each insurer has its own system. The two systems don't talk to each other. Um, it's simply too expensive to replace two systems with a third system. Um, besides, that may then be made redundant when there's another merger or takeover in, in, in due course. So, so, so the end result is that insurers have two or three or four legacy computer systems, none of which really communicate with each other. So is that likely to be changing with this more flexible world that you're talking about? What I would say is it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as your decisions are conscious. You know, if you spend a lot of time keeping systems updated but not really knowing what their future is, you, you firstly you've got a lot of cost or multiple costs, and it's a big distraction. You know, you're just keeping the lights on. But yeah, I, I do know. I mean, we, we're I'd say we're fortunate. So um, for the last ten years, we've had a an annual program of work called Essential Maintenance, uh, which isn't a particularly grand title, but it, you know, it's what what do we need to be spending today to to avoid you know a debt decision a couple of years down the line? So yeah. It's, <laughs> Not too much of an issue for us, but certainly is for, for some others. And uh, we've already touched upon um, MGAs and cover holders. So kind of how, how is that relationship between large insurer and MGA? Where are the tensions in it from a, from a technological perspective? Um, and where are the strengths? You're absolutely right. Some of our MGAs are, yeah, are, are very mature and advanced from a, from a technology perspective. You know, having spoken to a couple of their CIOs, they then they then spend time taking very very useful data that's available real time, converting it into a spreadsheet so that they can email it to us. We then take that spreadsheet and put it back into our systems. You know, times that by a lot a lot of spreadsheets, and you can see there's a huge opportunity there. So you know, my my hope now is now there's so much more focus and investment on on data analytics, and such a, a desire to get hold of data earlier in you know in the underwriting process right you know if you think at the moment we get a lot of our data after the effect it's it's too late we know what's been written and we might go oh we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been too happy of that if we'd have known so getting it earlier has a, a huge number of advantages and yeah my, my my hope is that we can build some relationships certainly with the larger mgas i mean we, you know there are some very small ones that will be happy sending spreadsheets for the rest of their time but others who would probably love to be sending this data much quicker and equally us providing information back to them as well on their performance. 
so yeah i'm hoping in the next two years that we should be we should be doing that if we can do that with half a dozen in the next couple of years i'll i'll, I'll be happy and what, what skills would you say were most important for a, a cio presumably historically technical skills would have been the necessary one but it's it's beginning to sound to me as though actually the technical skills are play a lesser role in, in the skill set required for a CIO in 2023? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a range of skills, right? I mean, because your your work sees every part of the business. It's one of the few areas that seems to touch touch every part of the business. So, you know, to do the day job, uh, I need people management skills. Finance, I've got the, probably the biggest single budget, <laughs> which has, has to be explained uh, and goes up every year. Communication, clearly, and problem-solving skills. Uh, and obviously, if thick skin was a skill, you'd need good helping of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> but but that's just the day job stuff. So I think in order to then make a difference and succeed, you know, increasingly, there's kind of diplomatic skills because, um, you know, you're having to spend time with a whole range of people from a whole range of backgrounds and explain things to them, in, you know, in a, in a way they can understand without being patronizing, without pretending you know everything. You know, there's no, no way you can understand the whole technical world it's changing too quickly anyway but you'd go crazy trying to learn it all there's some horizon scanning skills so you've got to know what's coming without necessarily being a futurologist but you you can't be going to support an investment into a product that everyone else kind of knows is going to be defunct in you know in 18 months time and then probably lastly is translation skills you you know you you need to kind of demystify it your job is to understand you've, you've got a business challenge you think you need some technology, but let me try and translate that for you. Not least that often technology isn't the answer. <laughs> you know, a number of uh, the amount of times people have said, our process is terrible, but if we buy some software, it'll be fine. And <laughs> you'll, you'll still have a terrible process. You'll just have a bigger bill. And actually helping people understand that. And it's very weird when I say I don't want, I don't want to put in an IT system because people think that's a strange thing for me to say. Some, so that's, I guess, where the diplomacy and, and other skills need to come in. So, yeah, I mean, there's... There's never a quiet day, right? There really is, there really is never a quiet day. <laughs> so obviously the role has changed enormously kind of over the last 20 years. Where do you see it headed over the next sort of 10, 15 years, if, if you dare look that far ahead? The way things are going, I, I do see the technology playing a bigger and bigger role and businesses embracing it more than than they have in the past. And I think that this whole concept between business and IT, just that those lines will go, I think, you know, whether, whether you even have separate department run IT, I, I don't know. But I can see this. It, it's getting closer and closer and closer all all of the time, yeah? And, and I guess as CIOs, that, we have to take those organisations on that journey. We've got to educate and upskill the workforce as well. Uh, you know, it's you wouldn't uh, recruit anyone who, who couldn't you know, read or write or, or, or do some pretty basic, uh, basic maths. And increasingly, you, you wouldn't recruit someone who doesn't have basic kind of technology skills and 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 the ability and mindset to want to learn more and then yeah i think there'll be a lot more about data i think a lot less about kind of running our own services i mean almost all the vendors now are saying you need to you need to buy our service so it's moved very much to subscription models so i think you'll see more and more focus uh switch to to the it professionals becoming more business professionals having a much better understanding of the business's challenges and helping find solutions for them than than just running the IT systems behind the scene. Um, ESG is obviously a big issue um, at the moment, and particularly the climate crisis. 
the technology side of things uh, is, well, according to McKinsey, um, enterprise technology uh, is responsible for up to 400 megatons of, of CO2. That's scope two emissions, such as you know the, the electricity that is used, and scope three emissions, which is you know those emissions generated by the supply chain, um, logistic companies, cloud technology, and so on and so forth. Kind of as we are headed towards net zero, what pressure does that place on the CIO? Well, I'm glad you brought this up because you're absolutely right that you know IT directly and indirectly is a significant part of an organization's emissions. I actually got information because I'm part of a much wider cross-sector CIO community. But as part of that, there's been an increased conversation around ESG, particularly the climate change element. And we've just implemented a dedicated group uh, to focus on that. Uh, And that's a group of people from all sorts of sectors, all sorts of experiences. You know, and the the idea is that people will bring forward ideas, will share ideas, will help implement, will start to influence vendors. So rather than just looking within TMK to see if I could make small savings here and there, it's it's how can we do something more more broadly? And you know, you've got people there, financial services, healthcare, even Formula One teams. You know, so there's people who've got who are surrounded by clever people, and if we can pull together um, some of that some of that resource and, and and thinking, I think that would be that would be brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm involved in, in 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 lots of lots of areas at the moment, and it's something personally I want to get even more involved in. In fact, I'm I'm starting a I'm starting a, a, a course on sustainability at Cambridge University in two days' time. So um, wow! So they wish me luck with that. <laughs> yeah, well, all the very best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I came across um, whilst I was doing some research, I came across a quotation from a CIO called Chris Chris Beddy that I thought was quite interesting, and uh, I wanted to put it to you and sort of get your comments on it, which is, the quote was this, CIOs must sell the vision that technology will make life better across the entire business. Is that something you agree with, that technology will make life better? Um, And do you agree that it is your responsibility to sell that vision? I think that that sounds pretty spot on to me, actually. Um... You, you can't expect exec teams or boards to have the same kind of knowledge and insight as, uh, on technology as as a CIO would. So so that's I've mentioned it already. It's our job to demystify to demystify this and and help them understand where it can deliver value and and importantly where it can't. You know to to help them make the right investment decisions. Personally, yeah, I agree that technology implemented the right way with the right training can absolutely make life easier for people. And equally, I suppose, alongside that, just don't roll out new tech for the sake of it. That would be a bit of my advice as a a CIO. You know, if it's new and shiny, it doesn't mean it's great necessarily. So, you know, you've got to deliver something that does add value and help the business get the value from it. That's probably a key key message. That means not walking away once you've delivered it. To conclude, Darren, you moved from... The public sector, I suppose, from from Ofsted and from Essex County Council into the insurance world. What bit of advice would you give to an ambitious person in IT who is thinking about following your journey into insurance? What bit of advice would you give them? Well, obviously, you know there are there are some financial advantages uh, to working in, in financial services, certainly versus um, you know where I came from. Um, but what I would say, it's actually a really great sector to, to develop your skills and, and your and your career you know it's never certainly from insurance it's never been a better time to, to join insurance i think when you've got particularly like london market but london market you've got the organizations kind of 
awake to this idea that they can use technology to help streamline their operations, optimize their expenses, deliver competitive advantage through, you know, data analytics, et cetera. So, you know, the, the opportunities are, are far and wide across the technology you know, sector with, with investment increasing. I would say, don't think you can't join it based on your current kind of skills and experience and background, because there's a huge number of transferable skills. I think in my interview at Kiln, they said, oh, you're coming to a special a specialty insurer. What are you going to do different? And I, I said nothing. I said, I'm going to work out who, who, my, who my key stakeholders are, what their issues are, and how I can help them and deliver good service. And that's the same wherever. Um, so I would say, yeah, don't be put off if you, if you think, oh, no, that's a bit too scary to move into financial services. Really don't be put off. You certainly might be bored. And my office is in, is in the heart of the city. And, you know, who wouldn't want to spend time uh, in, in the city of London? It's a huge, vibrant and, and great, great city to work in. So, uh, yeah, there we go. I'd say come, come and join the fun. Thank you, Darren. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.